Father, thank you for what you have done to rescue us. You are a very good Lord. Help us to remember that as we look into your word and as we analyze our lives, analyze how we live with you as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a uh, short series on some parables of Jesus. Today we're going to look at a parable that has to do with authority. Have you ever noticed that we humans tend to struggle with authority? There's lots of ways we can think about it. One would just be the, the mere existence of jails and prisons, and not to mention the numbers of people that are in them. That, now, yes, there are some people who are there and they're wrongly convicted, but there are some people who are there because they did something wrong, and there, there's consequences for that kind of living. But we don't just have to point the finger at them, do we? We can look at our own lives. Has anybody here ever disobeyed your parents or not followed your boss's instructions the way that he asks you to do it? Um, last week, I did a little confessional about a time where I didn't obey my parents. And this week, uh, boy, I'm really getting into confessions, but I'm going to do a confessional on a time where I didn't follow my boss's instructions. And, and I should have known better, and I'm, I'm not trying to justify my actions here, but... Uh, my first job out of college, I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I had a director there. And there was, a, there was an ad campaign that we were doing on campus, and it was my job to head up that campaign. And there was one specific part of it where my director said that he wanted me to do it a very specific way. And I kind of disagreed with him on how that should be done. And whose way did I go with? Did I go with my director's? No, I went with my way. And I thought I did a pretty good job with it. And then my director came back to me and said, he asked me about that one very specific part of it. Did you do it the way that I asked you? And my answer had to be no. I, I didn't do that. And, and that was wrong of me. He was, even though I disagreed with him, he was in a position of authority over me, and I, I should have done it the way that he asked me to do it. I think the reason that we struggle with authority is because we like our plans. We oftentimes think that we know what's best. And if somebody else comes to us as an authority, we don't just always say, yes, sir, however you would like it to be. So whether it's our parents or a boss or the police or God, we oftentimes struggle with this idea of authority. And again, today's parable has to do with authority. In fact, the three parables, the first three in the sermon series that we're looking at, have to do with the issue of authority. Back in Matthew 21, 23, the religious leaders came up to Jesus and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? See, these religious leaders, they kind of like to think that they had authority. And here was Jesus claiming to have more authority than they had, and they, they kind of didn't like it. So in the book of Matthew, that question is followed up with three parables from Jesus. We looked at one of those parables last week. It was the parable of the two sons, where neither son got it all right. Both of them did something to offend their father, but only one of the sons repented. Today we're going to look at a different parable. And it's the, the parable of the vineyard and the tenants. And this is my favorite parable and uh, so there's, there's always a, a sense in me when I, I do a, a passage of scripture like this that I feel like I'm not going to do it full justice. Um, so my hope is that you will be listening to the Lord filled with the Holy Spirit as I preach. Um, but this parable reminds us of the authority of the Lord. 
And it has a vineyard in it, just like last Sunday, the parable had a vineyard there. And I said something last Sunday I want to repeat. Last Sunday I said, the vineyard is the place where the Father expects his people to do what he asks them. And that's going to apply to us today as well. But today it's not a parable about a father asking his son to do something. Today the parable is about a man who owns some land. Or at least that's how we meet him when he's first addressed. Let's, let's read the parable. Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And again, isn't that part just amazing? After all that they did, to all those other servants, even killing some of them. He sent his son. Verse 38, But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come on, let's, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? Or that could also be cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, right off the bat, I want to give to you what may be the key to understanding this whole parable. Sometimes I kind of save that for the end as like the, you know, the aha moment, but I want to give it to you right away because I think if you can understand this part of the parable, you're well on your way to understanding the, the parable as a whole. When we first meet the man who owns the vineyard in verse 33, he is simply called a landowner or a man who owns some land. In fact, in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, they also tell this story and they do it the same way. When they introduce the story, they simply call him a man. But in all three Gospel accounts of this parable, all three of them, later on in the story, we see that he isn't just a man. And in Matthew 21:40, he's called the owner of the vineyard, just very similar to what Mark and Luke do as well. And that word owner is the word Lord. It's the same word that would be used to describe our Heavenly Father. Now, sometimes in the Bible, yes, that word owner can just simply mean sir, or, or maybe a little bit stronger, master. But here, obviously, it, it has a higher reference to it because the, the landowner in this parable, we learn something about him, he's the one who represents the father. So this parable is not just about a man who owns a vineyard. This parable is about the Lord. And what this parable teaches us is how he expects us to respond to his authority. Um, but it, in that light, we should ask one question here. What does the word Lord mean? 
or the name. And it means two things. And I think many of you know this because I've said it many, many times here. First, Lord is the name of God. So if you're reading your Old Testament, oftentimes in there, God is called the Lord. It is his name. And amazingly, as we read in the New Testament, now, now we might think that the name Lord would refer again to God the Father, and sometimes it does, but other times in the New Testament, the name Lord refers to Jesus Christ. And here's how that works. God the Father and God the Son are so united that they are not ashamed to share that name Lord. Now, just a quick side note here. In our parable today, the Lord clearly represents the Father because he sent his Son. Uh, but that doesn't need to confuse us because elsewhere in the Bible we see that they share this name Lord. So overall, our parable today is going to be about um, submitting to the Lord and the Lord is God. But there's one other thing we really need to know about, about the word Lord. And this is one I, I know many of you know, but I want to remind you of it again. The word Lord means master. The Lord is the one who is rightfully in charge of us. Just like the... The owner of the vineyard is the master of the vineyard. Our Lord is the master of our lives. And in this sense, there's only room for one master in our lives. That is, that is so phenomenally important that I could not say it enough. I've said it a lot of times here, but it's, it's one of the most important things I could ever say to you as your preacher. That, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God the Father is Lord, and we're not you see, the human condition is such that we like to pretend that we are the master of our own lives. Again, when someone else comes up to us and, and claims to have authority over us, we don't always like to say, yes, sir, whatever you want, even if that's to God our Father, that we don't always submit to his lordship. So again, this parable is given to us to help us understand what it means that we should submit to the Lord. He has authority over us. So that's what I think the key point is of this parable. What I want to do now is I want to walk through this parable in two settings. First, I want to walk through it in its historical setting. And there is where we want to figure out what did this mean to the people to whom Jesus first spoke this parable. And then second, what I want to do, after we've figured out what it meant in its historical context, I want to apply it to us today. And by the way, that's just a good way to read the Bible in general is that first we try to figure out what it meant to its original hearers, and then, once we've done that work, we figure out how to apply it to our lives. So, how did this parable come across to the people when Jesus first gave it to them? And remember, this parable follows up that question of the authority of Jesus. Who, by what authority are you doing these things? So let's start with verses 33 and 34. Now, to any Israelite, this language of the vineyard would make them think of their scripture. Many, many times in the Old Testament, we see this word picture of Israel being a vineyard. And specifically, if you were to go to Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, and read those, you would think it sounds a lot like the parable that Jesus gave here. So, in its historical setting, the vineyard is Israel. And then, as we get on to see those... Uh, those workers, those, they're called farmers first and then they're called tenants to whom the, the owner put in charge, those would represent the religious leaders of Israel. So the vineyard is Israel, the tenants are the religious leaders in Israel. But then the vineyard owner went away. And perhaps that's how the religious leaders of God's day felt. Perhaps they felt like God used to, to speak to them, but then he was quiet. And if you remember Israel's history, there was a long time 
the, the book of Malachi, the, the last book we have in our Old Testament, was written long before, hundreds of years before Jesus came. So maybe the religious leaders felt like God was being a little bit distant. And in that, maybe they felt like they needed to assert some of their own authority. But God wasn't really distant because God had given them his word. He had sent prophets, many to them. And that's in verse 34 when it says he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. We can think of those servants as the prophets that God had sent to Israel to give them his word. And by the way, please know this is important too. The vineyard owner has every right to come and collect fruit from his vineyard. Okay? That's just like 101, you know. If you get a job, your boss has the right to ask you to do stuff. But Israel had a long history of not listening to God's prophets. And in verses 35 to 36, you can see in there, in the parable, they, they killed and stoned and beat the prophets. And that's what Israel did many times over. In fact, they did it even with the, the blessing of the religious leaders oftentimes. And then we get to the shocking part of the story in verse 37, where it says, Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. This story is about the amazing love and compassion of God. He knew, he knew what would happen to his son. I mean, he's omniscient, of course, so he, he knows everything. But he had seen time after time after time when he sent his prophets to Israel how they rejected their message and how they even killed some of them. So God knew full well what he was doing when he sent his son and it was an act of love and compassion. But also when his son came he had, he had authority. But in verses 38 to 39 when the tenants saw the son they came up with their own plan to kill him in an attempt to take ownership of the vineyard. They wanted to usurp the authority of the owner and steal the inheritance away from the son. And by this point in the story, they knew what they were doing. Think how many servants had been sent beforehand so when the son came, this was no mistake on their part. They knew exactly what they were doing. And historically, that's then what we have with Jesus. God had sent his prophets time and time and time again. And by the time he sent his son, his people should have known who he was and should have submitted to his authority, but that's not what happened. Instead, just like it says here, they took him out of the vineyard and killed him. Their rejection of Jesus was really a rejection of the Lord. The tenants lost sight. They were working in the vineyard, yet they thought that they could take authority of the vineyard without having to submit to the vineyard owner. And that's where we get to verse 40, which says, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes... And by the way, the word owner, that's the word Lord. We could say, When the Lord of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And the people get the answer right in verse 41. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. There will be judgment for those who reject Jesus. And Jesus explains it in verse 42. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So this is interesting. If we follow this, this analogy of building, the builders, the religious leaders in Israel, they were looking for stones to which to, to which, in which to use for building their building. They wanted to build. And God sent his son, the chief cornerstone that he had picked out to be the cornerstone of the new temple. 
the religious leaders looked at that stone and rejected it, counted it as unworthy. They had their own idea. They had their own idea of how things should go in the vineyard. They started to think that the vineyard really belonged to them, and they started to act like they owned the place. Jesus affirms their answer by saying, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. When Jesus spoke the parable to them, they knew exactly what should happen, and Jesus said, yep, that's what's going to happen. The kingdom will be taken away. And verse 44 shows us uh, two responses to Jesus, and I think they're, they're both bad. Uh, I used to maybe look, is one of them good if the, if the stone falls on you versus you falling on the stone? I think they're both bad ways to respond to Jesus. Either way is a rejection of Jesus, and it results in harm to the person. And then in verses 45 to 46, the religious leaders of the day recognized that this parable was spoken against them. So did they say, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, that, I'm sorry for the way that we have been treating you, Jesus. I now repent in dust and ashes. No, that's not what they said. In fact, they went on with their plan to do exactly what was said in the parable. They were going to arrest Jesus with the hope of having him killed. Perhaps they thought they could get away with their plan. They won't. God will call them to account. There is judgment for anyone who rejects Jesus. The kingdom will be taken away from them and given to others. God will remove those religious leaders from their position of authority and give it to others. So that's what this parable meant in its historical context. It was a, a parable spoken against the religious leaders who were working in God's vineyard but weren't doing it the right way, weren't giving God the fruit that, that they should have given to him. So it was taken away from them. Now that we have figured out what this parable meant in its historical context, let's now move to us. How do we apply this parable to us? I think the key verse as we transition from the historical setting to our lives is verse 43, where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. God is looking for people who will work in his vineyard and give him the fruit that is his. This is what I like to call the timeless principle. So again, as we're trying to move from historical setting to application, sometimes you want to look for what's the timeless principle here. And the timeless principle in this story is that God has a vineyard and he puts people in there to work it and, and they are to give him the fruit that he asks for. So in that light, let's go back to the beginning of the parable and let's ask, well, what's the vineyard now? And I don't think the answer now for application for us is just Israel. I think that Jesus expanded the scope of that in his last words in the book of Matthew, what we call the Great Commission. Remember there? Jesus said, finish this phrase for me, go and make disciples of all nations. So the vineyard now has a larger scope. That Jesus wanted his message to go into all the nations. And we, I would say, are now the workers in the vineyard. Because what did Jesus say to his disciples? Go and make disciples. So the reason that we are here now as Christians is because somebody gave the message to us. The first disciples made disciples. Those disciples made disciples. So we could call ourselves Christians, but really we could also call ourselves disciples. And I believe that we are now the workers in the vineyard. 
we are the ones that are given the task of producing fruit. And according to verse 34, God expects us to produce fruit and to give it to him. And again, it's perfectly acceptable for God to ask us to produce fruit. He's the one who made the vineyard. He knows that it can produce fruit. And he asks us to give that fruit to him. But let me back up here in verse 33. I just want to point out something that I think that we all struggle with. It says in the middle there, Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. I love this part of the parable. I think that Jesus put this part in the parable because we sometimes feel like God is distant. Even you think about the great commission that Jesus gave. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then basically he said, See ya. Yes, he did say, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And I believe that fully, that through the Holy Spirit, we we have the presence of God living with us. But also in a very real sense, the disciples watched Jesus go back up into heaven. And have you ever said to yourself, man, I wish Jesus was just right here with me so I could ask him a question. And have you ever felt silence from God? Have you ever felt like, I felt this way. Have you ever felt, I'm not really able to do that, God. You told us to make disciples of all nations, and I don't feel up to the task. Sometimes it feels like God has gone away on a journey and left us to do this work by ourselves. But remember, the Holy Spirit lives in us. God dwells in our hearts. God is not distant. He is with us. And he will strengthen us to help us with this crop. So let's get back to this idea of the crop then. What kind of fruit is it that God wants us to produce? If we're the workers in the vineyard, what kind of fruit is it? I don't think it's grapes. It must be something else. Let me suggest three kinds of fruit that God wants us to produce. First is the fruit of repentance. In Matthew 3.8, John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I love this one. We can honor God with our repentance. Now, we've been talking a lot about repentance lately here in the sermons because we're good sinners. <laughs> uh, and I, we humans, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody specifically, but what I want us to be is people who repent quickly and immediately. So if you ever catch yourself in a sin, repent immediately. Set that pattern of your life. Think about this. All our lives, we have been setting the pattern of sinning. May we now be people who, when we catch ourselves in the midst of sin, that we repent immediately. May that be the new pattern of our lives. And I think that we can honor God with our repentance. I'm not saying that we should go out and sin intentionally so that we can honor God by then turning away from the sin. But what I am saying is that when we get stuck in a sin, let's recognize it immediately and repent from it. God is honored with that kind of fruit. Then let's look at a second kind of fruit we should produce. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you don't know Galatians 5, to 23, you should. I'm going to put them on the screen here. And if you don't have these verses memorized, I want you to memorize them right now. I'll see if I have it from memory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what's great about this kind of fruit is that this is the fruit that God produces in us. This is not the fruit that we... This is not us in the vineyard, yelling at the vine, come on, produce some grapes. Uh, Because think about this. How good is the human race at producing those nine things that I just read? Love, joy, peace, patience. How good is the world at producing patience? Uh, (laughs) 
We're not very good at these things on our own. But God will produce them in us as we keep in step with the Spirit. As we walk around with Jesus, He will fill us with love, joy, peace, and on and on. Our part is to stay close to God, and He will produce that fruit in us. And then there's a third fruit that we should produce. The fruit that comes as we proclaim the gospel. In Colossians 1.6, it says, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. I hope you've seen that in your life. I hope that you have given your life to Jesus Christ, to know Him as Savior and Lord, and that having done so, that you have then seen Him do His work of transformation in your heart. And what I hope you know then is that if God can do that in you, He can do it with other people as well. And our task then as disciples is to make disciples of all nations by proclaiming the gospel to those who don't yet know him. Or if people already know Jesus, then to make disciples means to help them grow in their faith. Either way, we take the word of God and we trust that God will produce that kind of fruit. Um, it's, it's God's work to bring somebody to Jesus and it's God's work to make them continue to grow. But our part in that work is to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the truth of God's word to them. And God will cause the growth. It's his vineyard. We're just supposed to be about the work that he has told us to do. So let's be workers who give God the fruit of repentance, who let him produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And, and through us, we see the lost come to know Jesus and we see believers grow in their faith. But let's move on to verses 35 to 39, because uh, in those verses, uh, following the spiritual meaning of the parable, God has sent us prophets, and he has sent us his son. So I have two questions here. The first question is, do you listen to the word of God? God has given us his word. He's given us a book filled with things that he wants us to know about him and about us and about what we should do and about what we shouldn't do. Are you eagerly seeking to get to know God's ways by meeting with him in his word. I get more and more convinced of this every year. About 24 years ago is when I made a commitment to, be, uh, to, to come to know the Lord and then to continue to grow in my faith by specifically meeting with him in his word every day. And I have seen God change me. And you know what I've seen along those 24 years? I've seen God change lots of other people too. And I would absolutely say from personal experience and from watching others grow, that there is absolutely a correlation between those who are growing in their faith and those who are regularly seeking God in His Word. If you want to walk closely with God, you, you really should listen to what He has said in His Word. And two ways that we can do that, individually and in fellowship with other believers. Individually, that means that we make the commitment on our own to put ourselves before an open Bible and when we do so, we ask God to reveal himself and to speak to us and to fill us with the Holy Spirit that we might apply what's there. So are you in that regular habit? And, and I know that this can, this can be the part where shame comes in. No, no, I know. I'm, I'm not as good as I should be. Well, just, just take a step. Trust God to, to take that next step in being regular in God's word. And then also, together, as a church family, we can listen to the Word of God. That's why we open up God's Word in our sermons. That's why we open up God's Word in Sunday school and in Bible studies and small groups. That's why you can talk about God with your friends over lunch or wherever you are with your family at home. 
Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. So are you listening to God's word? And then the second question, do you listen to God's son? Last of all, he sent his son. Do you listen to God's son? And by that, I want to talk specifically about the gospel. The gospel isn't a parable. You see, this parable about the vineyard and the tenants, that may never have actually really happened. Jesus told the story, but the story might just be a made-up story. The gospel is not a made-up story. That really happened. God really sent his son to rescue sinners like you and me. Jesus lived a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, he was able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven so that we could have eternal life. And that offer of life is for any who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. The Savior part of that means that he saves us from our sins, and the Lord part means what? That he's master. So think about this. As we're receiving Jesus Christ, how are we supposed to receive him? Should we suggest that I want to receive forgiveness of all of my sins, but I don't want to give my life to him? I felt that tension by the way, when I first understood the gospel message, I thought, what a great offer that my sins could be forgiven. I was also a little bit concerned what God would do with my life if I gave it to him. But I recognized at that moment, who is better to control my life, God or me? I had, my life had been heading on my own path, and that's where we all were. Every single one of us pretended to be our own Lord, our own Master. But in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus. I submitted to him to receive him not just as my Savior but also as my Lord and my Master. Now think about this. If you received him as Lord, if you gave your whole life to him at that point, what should the rest of your life look like? The rest of your life should look like he's Lord. The rest of your life should look like you serving in his vineyard doing whatever it is that he asks you. And just a personal note here, I'm glad that Jesus is Lord. I I first thought, you know, back in that moment of receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, wow, I'm giving up some things. And you know what? It's true. There's There's a death to ourselves that should happen as we receive Jesus Christ. But you know what comes on the other side of it? Life. And what kind of life? How does the Bible describe it? Abundant life. The life that is truly life. That's the life with Jesus as Lord. It is a better life than we could lead ourselves into. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. But again, I think we all struggle with this. You see, the tenants in the parable thought they could enjoy the vineyard without submitting to the Lord of the vineyard. I want you to think about that in your life right now. Investigate your heart, not the heart of the person next to you. Investigate your heart. Do you ever try to get what you can out of life without submitting to the authority of the Lord. And if we're honest, we all struggle with this. We all have our own ideas of how things should go in this vineyard. We all struggle with doing things God's way. But like I said earlier, there's only room for one master, one Lord. Yet we are tempted every day to pretend that we are that Lord. And I don't know what all of your temptations are. I know what some of mine are. We're all tempted to live live as if we are the Lord of our own lives. Think how many decisions we make in our lives based simply off of what we want to do 
or what we think is best. That's not how we should live. You see, we only have two options. Either we serve the Lord, bearing fruit for Him, or we oppose the Lord. Let me say that again, because I think that's key to understanding this parable. Either we serve the Lord, bearing fruit for Him, or we oppose the Lord. And if we oppose the Lord, then we put ourselves in with the people who killed Jesus. Yet that's the life that we're tempted to live. And we were once there, all of us, we were all dead in sin, but we don't have to continue in that rebellion. We can come to know Jesus as Lord. And if any of you here have not yet put your life in his hands, if you have not yet received Jesus as Savior and Lord, you can do it right now. I love Romans 10.9 on this. Let's see, where do I have this? There we go. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's forgiveness and salvation when we give our lives to Lord. And what are we supposed to confess? Jesus is Lord. Now, I, I did this uh, at the outdoor service we had this summer, and I want to I do it again here. Some of you maybe have never confessed Jesus as Lord, and maybe for the first time today you'd like to do that with your mouth, like it says here in Romans 10 9. And others of you I know would be glad to join in because you already know Jesus as your Lord. So on the count of three, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, I want you to say it with me. Jesus is Lord, okay? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Thank you. You encourage me. <laughs> we are tempted every day to pretend that we are the Lord of our own vineyard. The master might seem distant. We might have our own plans. But we just said it right now. Jesus is Lord. So let's live like it. Let's honor him by giving him the fruit that rightly belongs to him, trusting that he will produce it in us. Let me say it this way. The Lord has authority over every area of our lives. It's not worth it to try to live our own way. God knows best. Like I said before, we as humans have not gotten this right. We have not produced the kind of lives that bring, that bring ultimate satisfaction. And if we advance the story down the script a little bit, we'll see that we have no answer for death on our own. It's only Jesus who brings life. It's only Jesus who rescues from death. And he has good plans for us. It might not seem like it because human nature is for us to rebel against authority. But the best place for us to be is in his vineyard serving him. Again, we either serve him or we oppose him. But here's the cool part of this story. If we serve him, if we know him as Lord, we get in on the inheritance. Think about this in the parable. They thought they could steal the inheritance by killing the son. But actually, we get in on the inheritance if we receive the son. In Romans 8, 17, it says that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ of that amazing... Think about the inheritance that God the Father has for God the Son and then think that we get to be co-inheritors with him. But that's only true if we receive Jesus, if we become children of God, like it says in John 1, that we are to receive him and to believe in his name. To receive him and to believe in his name, what's his name? His name is Lord. He's master. He is the one who is rightfully in control of our entire lives. So let's submit to him. 
So what does your life look like? Do you joyfully serve the Lord in all you do? Or do you tend to come up with your own plans? Do you rejoice in the authority of the Lord, recognizing that His plans are best? Do you seek Him and say, God, show me your ways? Or do you tend to come up with your own ways? Do you regularly seek God, listening to His Word and His Son? Or do you spend more time thinking about what you want? May we be people who serve the Lord, bearing fruit for Him. He is the Lord of the vineyard. May we be faithful servants. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that though we were in rebellion against You, You sent Your Son for us. And we thank You that that You have brought conviction to our hearts to help us recognize that we are in need of a Savior. We thank You that You sent Your Son. God, I thank You that though you knew what would happen to your son, you sent him anyways. And Jesus, we we know that you willingly offered yourself as a sacrifice and we praise you for that. Thank you that in Jesus we have forgiveness and we have life. God, help us to remember in this new life that we live that we are not the master, but you are. You are Lord. God, I pray that every one of us would remember that and that we would live every moment of every day of the rest of our lives in submission to you and to your authority because you are good and you have good plans for us. You are rightfully in control. God, remind us when we go some other way, when we pretend that we're in control, when we come up with our own plans. Help us to repent of our sin. Help us not to pretend to be the Lord of our own lives, but may we submit to you and have great joy as we follow you, serving you, bearing fruit for you. Would you please produce that fruit in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.